Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to the Awakening Women podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Oten. And for almost a decade, I have been a transformation coach and therapist. This podcast is all about lifting the veil of consciousness and awakening to the truth. It is also about helping you to raise the bar in all areas of your life and relationships by starting with you. If you're ready to take back your personal power and reclaim your life, you have come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. So let's get started with today's episode. In this episode, I'm sharing an interview with you from a former ETC member who joined the program last fall when I was running it as a group coaching. And I was inspired by her radical shifts in such a short period of time that led her to executing, leaving a relationship where she felt pretty trapped in. And her story is inspiring. I think you will relate to it if you are struggling with the decision about whether to stay or leave your relationship. And really pay attention to the things that she did and the shifts that she had in order to get herself out on the other side. She's now inside of my Thriving Beyond Toxic Relationships beta program that we're just finishing up for women in that first year after leaving. It's the next step. And I've just seen so much growth come from her and I want you to hear how that happens from practicing a new way of being, showing up, investing in yourself and doing the work. So I hope you enjoy this interview. We've kept it confidential to protect her privacy. Let's dive in. Okay, welcome to this edition of the Awakening Women podcast. Today I have a guest and she is, uh, she just completed the End the Cycle program aspect and is now in my beta round of the Thriving Beyond Toxic Relationships group. This is my group for women who are on the, in that first year um, beyond leaving and navigating those next steps after leaving a toxic narcissistic relationship. And she has been showing up and doing the work. And I really wanted her to come on and share what she's been doing because I've been noticing she's experiencing a lot of breakthroughs. She's showing up and doing the work. She's posting in the groups. She's doing the homework and she's having remarkable shifts. And I find that inspiring. And also to highlight to you listening how important it is to show up for yourself and be dedicated to your own work. Otherwise, nothing is going to change. So we have her on. We are maintaining confidentiality. So um, won't be sharing names or anything like that. But she has been in both of my programs. We're not quite done this round of Thriving Beyond Toxic Relationships. Um, but I just wanted to capture where she is now because a lot has happened in the last couple of months or few months since she's come into my programs. So I wanted to ask her about that process and hopefully you will get some things out of her journey that will inspire you. So welcome to the Awakening Women podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So what I want to ask you is where were you at when you first came into end the cycle? I know this was several months ago. I think it was last fall. It might like in September. Yep. So, it was. So that was how September, so maybe like five months ago. So where were you at at that point when you came into that program? 
So the previous January, so this would be a year ago, I had separated from my spouse for um, four months and we had reconciled at the beginning of May and um, had been trying to work it out through the summer and it had not, not been going well. And I felt like I had made a list of like non-negotiables and those were all being violated right and left. And so I felt like um, it was time to move forward, but I wasn't sure exactly how or where. And I fell down a podcast, honestly, a podcast rabbit hole. And I found you being interviewed somewhere. I couldn't even tell you where to give the person credit and um, listened and found that you were enrolling at that point for ECE. Mm, Awesome. And so at that point, um, so just to clarify, were you already separated or were you just unsure of what to do? We were back together um, and I, but I could see the writing on the wall that things weren't improving. So we were currently living together. We had been back together about four months, five months at that point. And um, I could, I could see it wasn't going in a positive direction. Right. And now it's all coming back to me, remembering um, some of the coaching calls in the group where you were trying to extract yourself and everything. Um, so what was it, I know you were already kind of prepped and ready and sort of knowing that that's where it was going. Was there anything about the program or your experience or things that you learned in there that shifted things for you to actually execute and make that final decision? So I did the incident journal, like you said, and I have it in front of me and I did it for about 30 days, roughly. Um, and it was just, it was awful. Writing it down every day was awful. It was just awful. And I, it's funny because I found it yesterday and I was reading through it last night, kind of preparing for us to talk today. And it's just reading through it's just, it's, it's painful. It's painful to read through. So having to like actually write that down, write down how often things were were happening, labeling them, you know, (laughs) labeling them, gaslighting, labeling, you know, where I was, participating, you know, in the hero role, right. And labeling that and, and seeing how I was playing in it made a huge difference. And toward the beginning of October, I just, I quit because I knew I was done. Like I just, I knew that I was, I was done and, and started making arrangements. Wow. So it just is like, you needed just that, that was the thing that did it for you. I think that is often with women. It's the really being able to look at it on paper and go, yeah, like this is really messed up. Um, and it can feel really negative to be focusing in on that. And, and I don't love, they don't want there. It is necessary to really get uncomfortable to make change a lot of times. So to see that and be able to really see the truth of what you're experiencing is part of that, that process. So, um, yeah, that's really, really, really important. And it's also important to have that when you've left to remind you why to stay away and why you need to keep going because many women feel compelled to want to go back into it again when they've left. So but it sound, from what I can see of you, you are not interested in going backwards. <laughs> no, I am not. No, I am not. And at the beginning of the call, we were actually talking about that, um, that I had come across a picture of myself from 2016 and there had been this 
huge incident. He'd not spoken to me for several days before we went to this children's museum with the children. I'd been on this four hour car ride where he didn't speak and dinner where I'm doing the happy mom thing and everything's great and everything's wonderful. So the kids aren't stressed and upset. And, and I just saw this picture and I just felt a lot of things, but incredibly sorry for the person in the picture like just incredibly sorry for her and sorry that it was going to take her six more years to dig out enough to be able to go and that's the reality of it it's it's digging yourself out of the hole that you've been buried in um and that doesn't it doesn't happen overnight for no. me anyways no it absolutely doesn't and that is that really is the reason why I created in the cycle the way that I did that it's not a program that's like tells you you need to get out it helps you get that clarity for yourself right and it can take some women years I've worked with them privately even and they're still trying to get there so there's no we have to remove the shame from that and and recognize like we can't see what we don't see until we learn something new which you had already been in that you were kind of already primed and ready some women come into the program that haven't done any work that are still unsure what's actually going on but you came into it I think with that readiness, you just kind of needed that, whatever it was that you got from that to push you over that edge. So, um, so what would you advise a woman who is in a relationship like you have just left something toxic, narcissistic, abusive, but feels stuck or unable to leave or unsure of, of what to do. If you were sitting in front of her and she was living something similar to what you are, you were, what would you, what would you say to her? I kind of stumbled through the beginning stages on accident. Um, I got a small part-time job. I had always worked for my husband and family businesses. And there was this transition period and it was actually part of an abusive episode where he told me I needed to get a job. And so I did. And with the job came a new reflection of me that I had not had. And, and it's it's a retail job. It was an in-person job close to my home. but people were happy to see me. They liked me. Um, it, it was just such a different reflection from what I got at home. So I had unintentionally garnered like a new circle of support. Um, and I had a therapist and I had some really good friends. So for somebody who was in my position, like finding your circles, you know, finding your people, um, and as many of them as you can find, because I think it really takes, you know, it's a worn out saying, but it takes a village to extract yourself from a situation like this. I know that I'm fortunate that I have friends and family who are supportive of me. And I've really not had anybody say to me, um, hey, you really should have stayed or you should go back. And I know that that's not everybody's experience. But I think part of that is, is that I did kind of curate this community of people um, who were willing to speak truth in my life, who were willing to reflect who I actually was um and and that was part of like gathering the courage to leave because my self-esteem was in the dumpster like I just didn't think I had any value or anything to offer anybody um and so that silly little job that's not so silly um was kind of like this boost of confidence that just kind of started the ball rolling in a positive direction where it had been rolling the opposite way I really like that because it helped you to shift your identity from I'm worthless or useless or whatever you're being 
programmed to believe or whatever it probably started in you know, your younger years um to now okay but then it's empowering you you go and you feel like you're doing something for the day you're making your own money like that's what I always say to women if if money is at all a barrier like that's your reason that's your first order of business go get any it doesn't matter what job or whatever if it's a business that you need to put focus in um that's like your number one goal then but then still there are some women who get there and then they keep moving moving the bar now it's this and now it's that I can't leave till this is done or he's changing or he's being nice or I think he might be working on it or we're going to go to therapy and it just it can go on and on and on and on so what I heard you saying in that is is find a way to gather your supports in whatever ways that get you out of that isolation and that one-sided view of who you are from that one person that's what I got from that Absolutely. And I think the other part of that as well is, is I think I had to start telling myself the truth. And, um, and I don't know if I've told you this before, Leanne, but like I was a trained shelter worker. I worked in a domestic violence shelter. My mom worked in a domestic violence shelter. Like I felt like I was very educated about abuse and abuse cycles. Um, and because this was, because I could, I was in control of all of the money because I could go where I wanted to go and do what I wanted to do. Um, because he didn't ever call me names out loud. I, there were just all these reasons why it wasn't abuse. Uh-huh. And I didn't see all the other things that were abusive. Um, and so there, there was like, there was a year where I really just struggled with accepting that there was abuse happening and mm-hmm. calling it abuse and using the word. I mean, literally it took me over a year to be able to say that out loud to a therapist, not even to, to regular people, <laughs> to a therapist. Right. So, um, yeah, because it's so hidden with these certain types that it's very insidious and very subtle, but what it's doing to you is like, you don't understand it. And, and actually what a big thing is when I see women having a hard time putting it into words, that's when I know, right. It's like, I, I can't put, I can't put my finger on it. Or I, I don't know what's going on. I just feel crazy. I feel this, I feel that right? If, if that's how you're feeling, like that's not a normal thing to feel in a relationship, right? Absolutely. And that goes back to the incident journal too, like naming it. Okay. That's gaslighting. That's, you know, and, and putting words to it. Um, that makes a huge difference. Like once you start doing that, like you can't, you can't unsee it. No, <laughs> you can't really be in denial anymore when you're looking at it written in front of you and putting putting the name to the behavior. That's why we do that in the program is to help you like to have that awareness piece and name it. Um, so I don't I didn't ask this the at the outset. How long were you married? <laughs> A quick twenty seven years. Oh no biggie. <laughs> no, not that was a quick one. Now the thing about this that's so common is the length of these relationships, ironically. Like, maybe like, it's like there's non-toxic relationships where there's just people that aren't compatible that are, you know, they last a few years, six years, and they both go their own way or whatever. But why some of them last 20, 30, like how, what makes some of us stay for that long and others realize it sooner? We'll never know the answer to that. Um, Yeah, that's a really long time to spend spinning in something and in essentially being unsure that that's what you're actually experiencing. Absolutely. I, 
there eight years ago, I should have left. There wasn't, there was a series of incidents and I, I should have left. Um, and I, I stayed because I didn't want to disrupt the kids' lives. Our finances were in a really different spot then. Um, and frankly, I just wasn't, I didn't have the words to say that it was abusive at that point. Um, there was just a series of blatant behaviors that I found in texts and, and I should have, but I, I didn't. So, and probably two years before that would be the last time that I remember things being good. Wow. Um, so that would be 10 years that, that I know that things weren't, um, and it's, it's interesting to look back at that and kind of some of my reasons were good reasons, you know, um, I think some good came out of staying, but then on the flip side, it's interesting. My kids have two very different perspectives. One is very glad that I stayed. He thinks that his life would have been so much harder with his dad had I left and they been left alone with him. Uh, my other son is, is very hurt and bitter and angry at me that I stayed. Mm. Yeah. And that is, that's just another kick, right? When you're already down is then it's, then you have your kids and their experiences around that. And that is another layer of grief because we've been talking about the grief in um, TBTR around like the grief that comes up when you leave that you're not expecting like you think you've done all the grieving while you're in the relationship. No, <laughs> there's more. <laughs> you start to really see like this, like, oh, my, my kid, I was doing what I thought was best for them, but my kid has been really damaged by this. That's hard. There is a lot of shame around that. A lot of shame around that. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And we need to be able to not shame ourselves around that to realize we did what we had to do. Um, it is about just kind of uh, allowing it to, to surface when it needs to. That's what my experience too has been with it is like just allowing whatever that is, like that feeling to just kind of come up and, and feel it and be there for your kids where, where you can be. Um, but it's hard. It is hard to sit with that reality. You can't undo it. No, I can't. And yeah, you make the best decisions that you can at the time. And I wasn't in a position in those years financially or emotionally, or, or even having the people around me to support me to get out. And I didn't have the language and I, yeah, I just, I, I literally just didn't have the tools then. So I can't, I wish I would have, but again, you can't undo that. So, yeah. And you can't force that, that threshold crossing moment, like that moment you had where there was no going back. You'd never had that before. We can't force that. Like, that's the thing about it. You can't just say you need to decide to go. No, a woman might have two or three more years to keep doing the work to get to that point. Like that's the reality of it. Whether you have an abuse experience in your past, like professionally, or you're a counselor, um, we get there on our own time. There's that one moment. It could be something so benign and silly that tips that itch, right? It's all these things kind of, uh, accumulate and culminate to that moment where you can't go back. So, and every woman gets there on her own time. I always say every woman has a certain number of chances within her to give, and then she finally has enough and there is no going back. 
Like we all get there some, at some point, even if it's 28 years, right? Um, so you are now how many months out physically separated? Four and a half. Four and a half. So where are you at now? So from all of that, coming into the thriving beyond toxic relationships, you come out the other side, just give everybody a, a quick overview where, like, where are you now? Like, what has it been like transitioning and where, where are you at at that point now being four and a half months out? So when I, I left at the end of October, I filed for divorce the same week that I left the day that I left actually. Um, and I continued contact with him for the first two, two and a half weeks. Um, I was living in a hotel, um, <laughs> and, um, and there just reached a point where, um, somebody said to me for your own mental health, you, you need to stop talking to him. You, you have got to, I mean, you talk about it in the program. My therapist is talking about it. Everybody's talking about it. And they're just reached this point where like he had called like 11 times before noon one day. And, um, so I broke contact. So I want to clarify that because I think that makes a difference in my progression through this is the length of time that I've not had contact with him. So I've not had contact with him since like the second week of November. Um, and I, I'm do. it's funny. I will tell people that everything that is under my control in my life is going really well. <laughs> um, I work for a book writing coach and I do life coaching and I do these things and, and those things are going swimmingly. You know, I'm able to get up, get dressed, take care of my house, my life, right? I'm, I'm figuring out how to fix things as they get broken. I'm building confidence in my ability to handle all the things. And I'm finding, um, my husband traveled extensively for a living. So I lived most of my life alone anyway. Um, so I know how to handle all these things and I'm gaining now the confidence and the belief that I actually really do know how to handle those things. Um, so that's the things that are under my control are amazing. The things that aren't under my control are difficult. They are the speed of the divorce, his relationships with his children, um, harassment contact that he has with friends and other people, things that are said and done. And, um, and I, and I know that I'm not alone in that. And I know that other people suffer far worse than that. Um, it's interesting. It's interesting. I, I feel good about the growth that I have. Um, but it's still just a process. There are things that come up like that picture that I referred to. And last night I just had to sit with it for a while and just be really sad about it. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, that's healing to feel it because when you're in it, it's like, we can just push it down for so long and keep going because we have to, we've got kids, we've got a house, we've got this, we've got that. So yeah, that's grieving and, and letting go of what you felt in that at that time, but couldn't put words to, and now you can. Yeah. And, and letting go of shame too. I think that there, for me, and this may not be true for other people, there was just a lot of, a lot of shame and identifying as somebody who had been abused. Um, and that, that has been a real, a real struggle, um, that I allowed myself to live in those conditions that I allowed myself to stay that long, that, you know, that you allow all of those things to happen. So that, that has been a huge part of the growth process too, is like just accepting the reality of that. And then accepting, well, 
done. No wonder why you stayed. <laughs> you had no self-esteem, no confidence, no financial independence. He kept me so crazy busy all of the time with all of the, I homeschooled, ran all of our businesses and did every single thing in our home. And, and I mean, literally every single thing. I couldn't come up for air long enough to even recognize what was happening. Um, and then recognizing that some of the behaviors were physically abusive, not in the traditional sense of physically abusive, driving like a maniac when I'm in the car and fearing for my life, waking me up in the night to argue with me about something. Um, there was another one that had come up the other day too, that I just really kind of intimidation. Like if you'd have said to me, like, does he threaten you? I'd be like, well, no, he doesn't say I'm going to hit you. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to whatever. Um, but this very large aggressive male in your face, yelling and screaming and spitting and swearing it's intimidation. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so like, it's, it's taken me, you know, another four months past leaving to even begin, I think, to accept some of those things as well. Yeah. Because it's, yeah, the intimidation aspect, like pounding a surface or punching a wall or slamming things or throwing things like anything like that, that fast driving when, you know, you're, you're feeling, um, unsafe. Like we don't always count those as violence, right? We think violence is being hit or punched or kicked or thrown or, you know, something physical to our body, but violence actually runs a much broader, uh, scope of things that happen. And it's anything that puts you in a fear place, right. That puts you in the pl a place where you feel vulnerable or controlled or powerless, right. That somebody is doing to you and those things that you just described. So many women could easily just justify, oh, he's not abusive. He's not intimidating. He doesn't threaten me. Um, he doesn't hit me and we minimize it. We minimize it or he doesn't um, belittle me, but yet they do. It's just in roundabout ways, not fully like calling you a, the B word or something like that. Right. Absolutely. Cause if there were, there were things, I think this is the most frustrating part of this whole thing is there were certain things. If he'd have done them, I would have walked out the door, slammed it on the way out and never looked back. Mm -hmm. I mean, without a doubt, if I'd have not had access to money, deal breaker, if he'd have shoved me, deal breaker, if he'd have mm -hmm. called me a B or a whatever, one time, it would have been a deal breaker. But it never was that it was, you know, it was pounding your fist, screaming, swearing, you know, pounding your fist so hard on the steering wheel that the steering wheel breaks, you know, it was, um, why does anybody even like you anyway? How do you even have any friends? You know, things like that, that like, I, I just didn't, because they didn't fit this really tight definition of abuse that I held. I, I just couldn't, I couldn't see it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's really important too, for those listening around that, because I know so many women, I just did. I just had this epiphany to pull all of my groups and my Instagram to ask, like, are you questioning what you're experiencing? And if you are, why? And I have so many answers to why. And I was actually astounded, like how many women are in it, just like you're saying, but they're still questioning it. That's oh, absolutely. 
even if they have been hit though like I have unfortunately had stories where that's the case where that um and obviously if you're being hit and physically harmed you do need to like run like get out go stay at a hotel go wherever you need to go get your kids the hell out of there like I always say that um but you know most of the women that I work with there isn't the physical aspect of it. Sometimes it escalates to that where there is an altercation. So you have to be careful, like really aware of who you're dealing with for sure. Um, but because, you know, if I've been coaching women in, in ETCE, when I was doing coaching groups, uh, as they set boundaries, as they start standing up for themselves, there's been times where suddenly they were slapped or um, thrown to the ground. And that is when, all right, out, like, that's what they're capable of. And that's where women are killed or harmed when they try to leave. So if you see that kind of behavior, you need to grab your kids and run and also call the police and report that. But women don't do that. They don't, you know, it's interesting when I left and in this, when he tells the story, I'm sure that he gets all the pity party votes that he's looking for because I texted him when I left, I left a 27 year marriage with a text. Now he won't say that we'd not spoken for three days before that. He won't say that the last thing I said was, he said, so you want a divorce? And I said, I don't see any other option. He won't, you know, none of that will come up, right? He will say that I left him and uh, left a 27 year marriage with a text, but there's a reason that I did that. Mm -hmm. I waited until he went to work. I packed a bag you know, I went to my job where I knew I would be safe all day, shut off my phone, or I texted him, like, we're done, I'm done, I'm filing, I filed today, and and shut the phone off. Um, because I, I, I didn't want to be in that situation where, where that could happen. I just, I didn't want to be there for that. And that was a very good way to do things to so just kind of cut it off rather than staying and negotiating, figuring out who's going to leave you removed yourself from the equation. So that's what you chose to do. Um, was there something that, I mean, aside from the incident journal, was there like one last communication or something that happened that really did that for you? Like, was there that one moment where you were like, I got to get out of here? So before he moved back in, like we literally wrote what I just wrote on top marriage contract. These are the things that you have to do to stay with me. You have to go to counseling, which didn't help. But again, that was on the list. Go to counseling, you know, no screaming, hitting, swearing, pounding your fist. And you have to help around the house. Basic. Okay. I mean, really, you're not asking for much. Basic, basic shit. <laughs> And none of those things really materialized in any in any way. Um, but it was funny because the incident, the last incident, I thought was like days before I left. And it was like almost a month before I left, which I think is really interesting from the incident journal. Like in my brain, the story is this happened and a few days later I left, but it was almost a month. We'd gotten into an argument about, so I had, had said how I felt about something notes to self, right? You can't talk about how you feel in these kinds of relationships. I had been honest about something I felt. He was angry about it. We'd gone round and round and round and round. I mean, hours of arguing. And I had walked out of the house for several, for an hour and a half of that and walked outside in the dark, right? Just removing myself from the situation, had come back in the house and, you know, he was screaming and yelling and he pitched an empty water bottle at the wall. 
And the next, <laughs> and even then, right? So the next morning we resumed the argument, right? And I, I said, what were you, I mean, what are you even thinking when I'm crying? I mean, I'm just sobbing by the end of this. Cause right, that's what they're looking for at the end is for you to fall apart. So I break down crying. Now the argument's over, he's happy. And, you know, I'm like, what are you thinking about when I'm crying? He goes, I don't know, nothing. Wow. And I, I don't, I couldn't, I, I'm not going to say that, like, I think it's kind of one of those things. It's like shock, like it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. But if you've ever broken a bone, I broke my foot one time chasing the kids to the car. We're playing. I run around the edge of the car. I roll my ankle. I break my foot. I drive to my mom's like, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Right. And then 10 more minutes later, I'm like, wait, I'm not okay. You know, and I think that when the shock of that wore off and I could really see that A, the behavior is escalating, you know, B, he's not taking any of this seriously and, and C, he doesn't care. Like he just really doesn't, he feels no emotion that I'm sobbing my guts out. Um, I think that was the straw, but again, I think it just took time to really like the shock of all of those things to kind of wear off and settle in and be like, okay, I'm, I'm really out of choices. Yeah. And if I don't go now, when he's violated all these agreements, what what's going to happen next? Like, because I've set this boundary, and if I don't hold it, yeah. And and that's the thing is, we can continue to minimize it up to, and that's the threshold point. Like you said, the water bottle being thrown again, and the I mean. And, and to see that this person has no empathy, the fact that they're the reason why you're sitting there sobbing. Like they break you to that point where you are beside yourself. And then they often, well, that's when they come around and they come to comfort you. Well, I'm sorry. And oh my goodness. And oh, I don't, don't cry. I don't like to see you cry. Right. I never, I never had that. I wasn't one of those people that had the honeymoon. It was just, um, <laughs> less behavior let's put it that way wow. better behavior but never like and again so it didn't fit my definition of abuse right. if he'd come the next morning with flowers and gifts I'd have been like oh no but that never happened either so so good thing to to pinpoint right because this is where women start to question because they're like oh well all of this is going on but not this part I think right. the biggest thing we need to pay attention to is what's happening to us. Like what you're feeling on a day-to-day -day basis in that situation is what we need to pay attention to. Not necessarily maybe if they do this or that. I mean, the yelling, the raging, the hitting things, the punching things, the throwing things, the saying things to discount you and really belittle you. Um, that's abuse. So we need to be able to just name it for what it is, that that's what it is. And that's where we start. So to wrap it up, um, what would be something you would want to leave this episode with, with a woman obviously listening who is likely in one of these relationships? What would be something as, as far as advice to go that you would give her? I know you said to get a job piece, but. Yeah, I don't know if it's advice, but like before I left, um, I had been having nightmares for years. I was waking up two or three times a night 
somebody was trying to kill me. I was taking melatonin that quit helping me sleep. I had fans and eye patches and earplugs and all these things. And I had started um, actually using edibles um, in Michigan. Edibles are legal. And so I had started using edibles to sleep at night. When I left, I did not pack well, and I took none of those things with me. And after the first night in the hotel, I started sleeping through the night without anything, anything at all, and have not needed to go back to any of those things since. Um, and it, it was, it was jarring. And, and so I, it's not advice, it's maybe more like hope or encouragement that like within a few days of having, you know, then basically the day after I left, I slept through the night. Wow. I thought, well, this, this is a fluke. Surely this is not going to continue. And I did again and again and again. And I mean, I'm sleeping in a hotel for the love of heaven, you know, you <laughs> safe. like you felt like your nervous system could kind of come down. I think really, I think so. And so like, I just had no idea like what was available to me on the other side. And that's kind of what I want to offer more than advice. I think you, Leanne, are much better at the advice part of that and how to pull yourself out and what you need to get out. But like, it was just such a radical difference in just such a short period of time. And um, so it was, yeah, that's what I want to offer that like, there is something really, really much better on the other side. That's awesome. Yeah. And to speak to, you know, just even things like how you feel and how you feel mentally, even though you still have to deal with them sometimes, but how you feel mentally, how you feel more at peace. But when you don't, it's usually when you have to deal with them, you can start to really define it and pinpoint. Like I feel great until I have to somehow deal with this person. Like everything's great until I have to try and make some kind of arrangement that turns into an hour long, stupid, dumb argument back and forth. You're like, oh yeah, right. This is, I don't have to deal with this every day anymore. <laughs> Just once in a while. Thank goodness. Right. Oh, even proxy contact, third-party contact will just, I mean, I will have the clenching in my chest and the, you know, and all of the things. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What the damage it does is it's deep. It really is. And so then that's what we're doing in um, thriving beyond toxic relationships is trying to rewire all of that and recalibrate our nervous system from that. And you have been doing a lot of work around that in the group, which has been inspiring, like working through your own triggers and emotional flashbacks and all of that. So, and we're not even, we're not even finished the program yet. So I think you're going to do amazing things. And I really appreciate you coming on to share this because women do see themselves in each other's stories and it can be really healing and validating to hear yourself in someone else's reality and go, Oh, that was me. I experienced that that's abuse. Right. And then when we can really define that, that's what that is. Sometimes it's easier to start advocating for ourselves, but sometimes not right away. Right. And that that's okay. Every woman's journey happens on its own time. Um, so thank you so much for being here on the show. It was great to have you. Thank you, Leanne. 
Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Awakening Women podcast. If you love this show and it has served you and helped you on your journey, please take a moment right now and leave a rating and review in iTunes and Spotify. If you'd like more daily content, videos, and inspiration, come on over and join me at Awakening Women Support Official over on Instagram, where we can connect and you can continue your transformation and growth journey. And I'll see you online. Take care.